Hello, everyone. My name is Irma Verhoeven, and every month or so, I talk to someone that cares for the planet. And today, we're talking with Rolf Winters um, in the topic of inter interdependence of life. Rolf Winters is an explorer of life, a leadership coach, public speaker, and founder of several groundbreaking personal development organizations. Driven by his fascination for unlocking hidden human potential, Rolf made this his mission since leaving his corporate career 25 years ago. Relentlessly seeking and experimenting to find ways to create thriving cultures, he has been working through Europe with leaders of major corporations and NGOs and their teams. Rolf is an Earth Charter champion, and he was um, leading an Earth Charter masterclass and on an EC podcast last year. Welcome, Rolf. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good. Um, and uh, well, I introduced you a little bit, but I always start with the question, please introduce yourself so we get to get to um, know you a little bit better. I think you did a very good job. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so basically uh, my life started out in, in the corporate career. And um, I think uh, after a, a few years, I started to see that there was, um, there was more under the sun. And um, I started to get really interested first within sort of that, that setting of the corporate um, environment, you know, what it was that actually made certain groups of people like really um, thriving and, um, and therefore successful. And it has very little to do with the things that I was taught at a, a university or at my MBA. Um, it had to do with something else that was very um, intangible. And um, we call it spirit, you know, you can call it culture. What, what is it that a group of people um, that brings a group of people together in a way that they excel way beyond um, what might be expected? And um, I was in such a group. And then later on, I was uh, taken over by another company. And um, that didn't work anymore. Nothing that we, that we had before didn't work. And so that actually set me up for the rest of my life. I became fascinated by the not having of success, whereas the conditions and everything else was the same. Um, the one thing that wasn't the same was that thing, you know, what we call culture or spirit. And so I've made it a mission to explore what it is. Uh, and I um, have had various companies and I explored everything that was already there. Um, but most of the things that, um, you know, in terms of programs or, uh, you know, trainings that, that, that people have for, uh, for corporations, and nothing seemed to be really significant. And so um, you could say I have been exploring for the last 25 years and I still am, um, because it is a, it is a field that um, has unlimited um, depth. Mm -hmm. And um, it brought me on a spiritual path, basically. Um, and I, the way I see my work that I'm doing um, today, working with leaders of organizations, is to really bring that spirit back into, um, into these organizations. And um, yeah, making that bridge between the, their world that I very well understand, which is a, a rational-based, mm -hmm. um, uh, very scientific and knowledge-based environment uh, and sort of my spiritual path that I've found. And it's just very exciting to see what happens if you can make that bridge for people. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, and you, you mentioned the word success. Um, so, so what is for you, what is the definition of success? Well, they, if you have asked me that over the course of the last couple of years, I would have come with different definitions uh, every two years probably. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that, that is actually one of the things that I work with, uh, with people on. Um, so if you know, what, what is your definition of success? It's very, very subjective. Exactly. You, know, you could say success is that you achieve what you set out to do. Uh, that's probably the, the shortest um, definition. 
Um, but then, you know, what is it really that you set out to do? Um, you know, and is, is what you write on a spreadsheet really what you want to achieve? Or is there something deeper? Mm -hmm. And, and um, I find that when I go on that search with leaders and their teams, um, the, the deeper they can go, you know, the more exciting and, you know, the more magnetic uh, the field gets. Yes. And, and that's, that's kind of the exciting work that I am uh, able to do. And um, the learning and the exploration is ongoing. Yes. I'm sure that we come back to that, um, but let's start a little bit earlier. So in, in 2005, you started a journey to look into the potential of human tribe as a whole. You and your family lived and worked with tribal communities around the world. How did you even come to a decision to do that, to start well, a journey? Yeah, I, I think the biggest impact um, before we made that decision was becoming parents. Uh, around uh, sort of the turn of the millennium, uh, we were uh, lucky to have um, three children. And uh, as they started to grow up, I started to really question myself and say, you know, if I see that I actually happen to work with the most highly educated people, probably the, the, the top 3% in terms of, you know, the possibilities they've had to develop themselves and to be educated. And if I see what I struggle as a leadership coach to get these people back into their, their whole being, uh, because, you know, um, most of them are just walking heads and, um, you know, have, the, have lost the qualities that I could see my little children had. <laughs> I didn't want them to lose that. So um, I, we were puzzled, my wife and I, sort of, you know, do we really want to put our children into the educational system? That was one question. And then the other thing that we were really questioning was, you know, where, where is this all going in the world? Um, mm -hmm. We hear this question now all the time. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, we already had that question 20 years ago, but we did. <laughs> we, we, we were wondering what the world uh, was going to be like that our children would grow up in. And, um, you know, what it is that we were actually doing in that world. And even though I did nice work and, you know, I must say, if I speak for myself, that I realized I was still very much part of that system that I started to question. And so the idea was born, what if we pull ourselves out of the system? and you start to look at life anew. And so we were looking for a place in nature where we could um, you know, get away from the big city life, uh, that, the cosmopolitan life that we were used to. We lived for many years in the heart of London and then in Amsterdam, and all of a sudden it just didn't, it just didn't click anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, we were looking for three years, couldn't find what we were looking for, stopped looking, and then it found us. <laughs> Very <laughs> unexpected manner. And uh, through a friend, I was introduced to uh, a clan of Native Americans in, uh, in North America. And after meeting them, I, I just felt, you know, this is, this is kind of what I've been looking for, you know, a different way of looking at life altogether. And uh, we basically, you know, made a U-turn and sold up and, uh, and moved to, to the woods of, uh, you know, for an adventure of a few years. Uh, because we thought, you know, this actually satisfies what we're looking for. We can, we can raise our children in nature. Uh, mm -hmm. We were going to homeschool them, which is quite a common thing in America, yeah. especially sort of in more remote areas. Um, we grow up with a community that we really, uh, you know, value in terms of how they live and how they, um, you know, how they walk their path in life. And we live in nature and we can, you know, st start life um, living under the radar of society yes and sort of that was the that was the plan the, the plan was basically to go and learn life anew yeah and then a lot of people would um describe that as um like a more simple or a more easy life um and i really wonder if that is true is it, it like you said it's a different kind of life but not necessarily easier or simpler is it um, in terms of simple, like uh, simple as in um, that it's very basic, uh, definitely. It's very, it's, it was a very simple life. It, it, 
living day by day. Um, what was difficult is actually letting go of what you were comfortable with. Mm -hmm. When I say comfortable, it's not so much sort of that we were living in the city and we, we were missing the city life, which we were worried about beforehand. Yeah. Um, but that was that was taken away like in, in in weeks. It was amazing how nature just welcomed us and uh, you know took us on. Mm -hmm. And um, we thought, you know, as, if only we can once in a while go to a big city, which was the closest city was five hours away. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago. And uh, I, I remember coming back there uh, after a few months. And I was like, what, what are these people running for? Yeah. <laughs> like, so that was, not, that was not difficult. What was difficult is that I didn't realize how much I was always looking ahead about what I, you know, was going to do and achieve next. And um, we were there without a plan, with, without, you know, a next thing to chase. Yeah. And um, that day-to-day -day living in the moment, um, yeah, that was in the beginning rather challenging. You know, yeah. I, I came out of an environment with uh, very, you know, entrepreneurial, um, working with, with clients, exciting projects, you know, traveling around Europe, um, you know, a lot of uh, stimulus. And there, uh, you're all of a sudden in the silence of the woods, uh, you know, just hearing the animals. And uh, in that sense, you become so much more aware of all your conditionings and, you know, how much you still, even myself, even though I, I, I taught people to get out of their head, how much I was still in my, in my head. head. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What I maybe meant was a simple life in you don't need a lot of knowledge. Um, a lot of people would would describe simple as you don't need a lot of, I know people are simple, you don't need a lot of knowledge. Um, I've been living with um, an indigenous tribe uh, for a while in the northwest coast of Canada, and that for sure is not true. You need a lot of knowledge, just a different kind of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that's why I asked, you know, if people perceive that as a simple life, then they, you know, they might be misguided. Yeah, I mean, I realized that I knew very little about, you know, how to grow your own food. Mm -hmm. um, Renata, my wife, you know, was ahead of me, but, you know, we, that was one of the things we wanted to do. Uh, challenging environment because the winters are very long, so you have a very short growing season. Um, but, you know, this is what we started to, to really develop an interest in, um, raising and educating your own children. You know, I mean, I haven't studied for that. Um, so that I, we had to learn how to do that. So yeah. we made a whole study program ourselves. Um, we built our own house, um, you know, and, and like I say, the winters are very, very um, um, cold and, uh, and long. Harsh. And, harsh and you know you you have to learn to deal with the seasons and um one of the things that i actually enjoyed was how basic the dialogue was with 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 the people that we lived with and uh, you know lived amongst it was less less sophistication in the in the conversations and very much about uh, have you have you caught your fish for the winter and put it in the freezer have you have you chopped your wood for the winter yeah, if you repaired your uh, roof and it's very um, about the basic elements of life you know roof over your head food on the table and looking after your um, your loved ones yeah 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 beautiful so you shared some of the experience from those five year that five-year journey um, seeking you know to learn from people's um, indigenous people's um, beliefs and values um, and you've also been talking about homeschooling your children in that specific environment. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on how your children have learned and shared um, and, um, and shared, you know, experiences throughout this journey? Yeah, uh, I mean, the five years um, exists of four years living with this community in the woods of Michigan. And it was only after those four years that we decided to travel around the world for a year. Um, and so the four years that we lived in the woods, we, we had a rhythm. We, we, we think that structure is important for children. So we had like uh, three hours, three and a half hours in the morning, 
where they had to do their, their basic lessons. And then the rest of the day was for them to explore. But I would say that was just the, the basics that you know, they would normally get at school. Only we did that in uh, probably a third of the time. Yeah. Because, you know, the, and, and in the end, it proved it's more than sufficient. Um, and all the other things that they experienced was, um, you know, explorations in, in the woods, um, uh, you know, animals that they would found uh, wounded and, and cared for. Um, we had a lot of animals ourselves as well. Um, but also the being part of the, the native community, um, they were part of every ceremony that was being held. Uh, and so um, their best friends were adults. And they were very much seen on the same level. Mm -hmm. and if I look back and talk to my children about who, you know, they, they've grown up now, um, they still say that was the most amazing thing. But we only realized after we came back uh, to England, where we live now, yeah. that here, um, they, you know, adults look down on you. You know, uh, you, you, you are considered to be a different kind of species. That's how they felt. Whereas there, they were just completely seen as equals, listened to. They, were, they felt seen. They felt heard. And um, as a parent, I, I learned quite a few lessons from my native friends about what, what it is to truly listen to your children. Yeah. And, um, and so they see it that, you know, because we're, we're all spirit that you know, they're not lesser spirit just because they're young. They not have less wisdom than you have. You know, sometimes these little children have an incredible um, you know, contribution to make. And, um, and so they were also never separated uh, from you know, adult conversation. And so I think they matured in that sense um, very differently than um, they would have had in, in, in our society. Yes. That's, that's what they struggled with when they came back, you know. I can imagine, yeah. We were a very good school, very caring school, um, Freie School, uh, Walter Steiner School in, in England. Yes. Uh, but still, they thought that the teachers didn't get it. Yeah. You know, so my teacher is just, he's so patronizing, you know, or she is like, you know, considering that she knows everything better than we do, and we're not used to that. You know, <laughs> I can imagine that we are all products of our own culture, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Mm. So like you were saying, you lived there for four years, then you decided to travel the world. Um, and uh, you also decided to create a film out of it to share, you know, what, what you encountered with people that are interested. Um, and um, you call the, the, the documentary down, the down to Earth, Down to Earth um, as a title. Why is that title significant? Well, um, you know, the, the, the film was something that just came as a vision um, after we'd lived there for, for three years. And we started to encounter just this incredible source of wisdom uh, with, with some of the elders, one man in particular, and um, he was a teacher of our native friends. And um, to describe what we found later on, to when we visited other elders of tribes around the world, um, to really capture what was so different about these people, what was so special about these people, is that even though these were the wisest people I've ever met in my life, they were incredibly down to earth. And you know, it was a, that's actually how the film title came to be. We we were we were questioned by people saying, you know, just tell me what is so what is so special about these people. And um, they are so connected and so humble in their understanding. And I think that's why they have such an incredible wisdom mm -hmm. because they always consider that they only know that little bit of the total reality that is. Mm -hmm. And because they have that, um, that mindset, they and they are open to you know um, knowledge coming from different sources than we are used to. Um, that's why they, you know, they they um, receive information. I can't say it anymore. They just receive information that we cannot receive with our cognitive mind. Yeah. And 
for me as a person who has made it my profession to uh, to help people grow you know to have help people to uh, you know to grow in their personal development i started to see that they have a complete different paradigm about learning hmm. you know we have we have a paradigm that i call outside in yeah. you know if you want to improve yourself you go and you know read more books do more courses you know go to university and so forth that's outside in we we collect more information yeah. more experience and just put more in with them it's the opposite they consider you have everything that you need inside you already and in order to to get wisdom and to get deep knowledge in all these societies people go and sit in nature uh, go on a fast go on a fishing quest there are, there are so many different you know, rites of passage as well for, you know, for young adults to really find out who you are and to really connect with the field of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's how they, um, that's how they receive information. That's how they receive guidance. That's how they connect with, you know, you can say connecting with their ancestors, connecting with spirit. You, you can call it whatever you like. But there is an there is an intelligence, and there is a there is like an invisible um, internet of wisdom, and whereas we only have an internet of data and knowledge, mm -hmm. and I think that's the difference that they are able to to check into that um, that field of wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. And the wisdom keepers that you talk to, they take their role as wisdom keepers very serious, don't they? Well, the, the whole society is built around it. Mm -hmm. let's, put it let's put it that way. You know, we, we create a society where, you know, people work very hard. They're on the top of their, um, top of their abilities uh, between probably 40 and 50. And, you know, and then people are considered to, to go on a little longer or not. Um, and then, you know, when people are old, you know, we you know, put them aside. In those communities, you just see that those elders, and not all of them, but, you know, the elders that actually have done the work, um, so to say, are like a center point of the community. And again, it's, it's not just a matter of age, but it is a matter of wisdom. And so it's not about the, those who, um, you know, study the most or, um, you know, have the, have the smartest brains, but it's the ones that have the most wisdom that people consider their leaders and their teachers. And so this is like a very important thing for communities to, to be safe, um, to be prosperous. Um, for people to feel uh, trust, trust and, and happiness in, in, in that community. And, you know, the, the, the leadership model is very different. You know, the, the leader is not the, the one that actually is appointed and lives in the biggest house and makes all the decisions and whatever. Now, they usually live in the smallest house in the village. And they're being looked after by the whole community, mm -hmm. you know, literally. Um, but they're being um, asked for guidance when people need it. So the, the wisdom keepers are um, humble, as you said as well. I remember um, one of one of the um, experiences that I had with um, Granny Ethel, um, we just had, um, uh, we watched some indigenous dancing with with um, mask and regalia. And Granny Ethel was, was part of that. She was um, uh, just sitting in the big, still in the big house. And we were with a group of Dutch people. Um, and a lot of the native kids were playing around and, you know, being kind of rowdy as sometimes native kids can be and all kids can be, but they were playing around and they were still listening to Granny Ethel's story because she was storytelling. Um, and then um, the, the, my Dutch group was saying, you know, why don't these kids go outside and play outside? And then I realized, oh, this is such a different way of, of um, experiencing what was going on because these kids were all learning. 
from Granny Ethel's stories. I mean, they were playing, but they were all learning from Granny Ethel's stories and they were showing respect by staying there and learning her teachings. Um, so while the Dutch group was, was thinking, you know, go outside, play. And that's sort of, um, I, I remembered that story or that experience when you were talking about, you know, my, my kids were um, not taken serious when they came back, not respected in the same way when we came back uh, living in, in the Western world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had situations where, um, you know, we would be sitting uh, in, in, a, in a ceremony around a fire for, and these would last, these ceremonies could last for three, four hours. Uh, and for kids, that's too long. And so our kids started to just run around and it once happened that somebody was sharing a very intense um, personal story um, in, in front of the fire and in the circle. And uh, my youngest tried to, uh, they, were, <laughs> they were playing tag. My youngest tried to take his sister and he ran over the, the, the sacred bowl with the medicine and it went all over the floor and we went like, oh, come here and you can't do this. And, and they started laughing at us. I mean, they, the natives started laughing at us, mm -hmm. say, come on, Rolf. They're just being kids. They're just doing fine. It's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to teach my kid a lesson, but they taught me a lesson. Yes. <laughs> There's many occasions like that where, you know, I start to realize that that is a society that we, we have created, you know, um, and yeah, I, I have really embraced that. And I still think of that a lot in terms of how I, um, you know, connect with my children, mm -hmm. see, see, see them as equals um, with a role as, as a guide, mm -hmm. um, but not like they are somehow different as a human monster uh, mm -hmm. than I am. Yeah. And actually, you know, by, by racing that way, <laughs> I'm getting a lot back from them, you know. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the same and, goes for elderly people, like the elders as, as um, I love that, that the sound of elders much more than elderly people. There's a different um, feeling for me with that. I'm taking elders serious and I'm learning from them and their wisdom is such a total, totally different approach to elders than, than we have in our Western world. So that's very intriguing for me. It's like we cannot learn from our elders because they're old and a nuisance. Um, and in a lot of native communities, the elders are, are honored um, and um, because they have all this wisdom and life experiences. Yeah, and, and, and it doesn't mean that it's always related to age uh, because they, they are also open to the fact that sometimes people at a very young age have that um, leadership ability and, and stronger, they're looking out for those. Yes. So um, in a sense that one of the most important things that's also different is that in their whole way of raising kids, it's really about looking what is already inside there you know what wants to manifest yes. uh, rather than our school system where you know we have one side that fits nobody um, and, and, and all the tribal communities where we have been it is much more about finding their gift you know and that means that um, you know there's much less of a problem where kids feel like you know I, I can't do what my uh, what my friend or my, my, my neighbor kid is doing um, I, I'm not as good as this or that kid and, and you know, feeling, feeling insufficient, you know, feeling incomplete, feeling not good enough. Yeah. Um, in, in those communities, you know, there's much more attention for, you know, growing into your authentic gift that you, that you have and, and finding your gift and finding your, your purpose yes. from a very young age. And that, that includes those who have the gift to lead. And that's not just because they want those kids to, to grow into that, but that's also a need for the community to recognize at an early age, you know, which of these youngsters have what they call the leadership seed. For me, that was very interesting mm -hmm. to, to gain that understanding. And again, when I say gain that understanding, I mean, this was the same in all these communities around the world, where it was usually the grandmothers who were observing the kids you know, in their play, in their, you know, in their normal interactions. 
And they and there's actually a scene in the film where she where the Australian um, Aboriginal lady um, um, explains that you know we we watch them, and by observing them, we get to see you know um, those that that have that ability, and you know they they are then being um, they are being taken uh, not on a separate yeah you could say on a separate track. They get special attention, you know. They, in some communities, they they really go on a on a separate uh, track. Uh, I mean, the Kogis in Colombia, we haven't visited them, but um, have a very extreme way of of uh, nurturing their leaders. Um, those youngsters are being raised in a, a cave, um, you know, for many many years, and they're just trained to lose anything that has to do with ego and to trained in the values of the tribe. They are trained in, you know, the virtues that you need to have as a leader and they trained to live a life in service. Um, if we would only take 10% of those lessons in our society, we wouldn't be in the trouble that we are in now in the Western world, because mm -hmm. our leadership trajectory is completely the opposite. You know, where they do everything to actually undo the ego and, you know, make people that lead um, understand that they live a life in service. For us, leadership is like the crown on a career. And, you know, it comes with all kinds of benefits and all kinds of, you know, like extreme benefits if you do really well. Yeah. Uh, and it's the complete opposite in all those other communities because leadership most and foremost is being in service for your community yes and most of our leaders they don't even get that you know it is uh, it is shocking to see how in terms of how communities select nurture grow and appoint their leaders in native uh, environment is in every step the opposite in our world because if you think about who are being selected, the ones that are selected in um, indigenous communities are the same kids that in our society often don't even make it to the school system. Yeah. And I, I, I like to call this out because um, this is one of the things that we completely overlooking. The ones that are chosen and seen as, as, as future leaders are the most sensitive kids the most connected kids, the most empathic kids, the kids that actually have uh, high sensitivity. And in our society, they, these are the kids that, um, you know, are not misunderstood, um, are uh, not being looked after, and often really don't, literally don't make it um, through the school system. Because we, we, have, we have a complete opposite um, offering than what these, these kids need. And yeah. so, um, yeah, you, you, you create a very different type of leader, uh, you know, when you, when you look at things in a different way. Yes. So we create a type of leader that is not um, capable or, or trained or focused on making that connection. Well, that, that's why I have the job that I had. You know, because companies find out at some stage that the way that we create our leaders um, has a side effect, which is that, you know, a lot of leaders come into a position and their ego has been built up throughout that process. Um, their uh, understanding of why they are successful is because they are the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I often see it as my job to help leaders understand that is done now. You're not the smartest in the room. Yeah. You know, when, you've, when you have that mindset, you will never create a, a learning culture and you will um, you, you start digging a hole uh, in terms of, you know, the, the capacity that you could have had as a, as a, as a leader of a team. Yeah. And um, yeah, that comes with, you know, unpeeling the onion. Uh, of all the layers of conditioning that they've built up throughout their career. Exactly. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually doing a masterclass about this for Earth Charter later yeah. this year yeah. on this theme specifically, you know. Um, so maybe we can keep keep it short here because I can talk for hours about this subject. Yes, I can understand how that. I think, how I think how much we can learn from indigenous communities in terms of leadership. Yes. And I, for, for me, it also has to do with respect and trust in, in people on all levels. Um, within your company, within, you know, I'm a teacher as well, within my school, um, within, you know, organizations, within, you know, that little town that I live in. And what I see in a lot of the leaders, including the ones that currently are in my school, they don't trust the, the laborers. They don't trust that they can do a good job, um, which is very strange to me. For me, that's, I think, okay, you know, why, um, you hired me for a reason. I have, you know, I have, um, I can, I can, uh, you know, everyone within this community is valuable and everyone has a contribution um, to, as you say, to create a safe environment where people can thrive. Yeah, but the, the problem is we have created a system in which you can almost not even blame those people for mm -hmm. working that way because <clears throat> they are, they are being guided in a direction where they have to execute control. Yes. You know, where they have to reach certain KPIs and where they, you know, they have to, <clears throat> to manage. And that's, that's what people are learned in our society, how to manage exactly. within the system. But management is completely something different yeah. than, than leadership. You know, and we have, we have made management very, you know, we have made it a very scientific approach. Mm -hmm. You know, KPIs and all these things, dashboards, were invented in the corporate world. Um, now they are in every school, whereas the corporate world starts to see, well, actually it didn't work at all. Um, we're going back to more intuitive uh, leadership uh, exactly. because you know, that, that's what I get a lot of requests for. And I, I also work with a lot of school leaders, um, particularly in the Netherlands uh, in the program. And I just start to see that, you know, the educational system has copied a lot of things and keeps copying things out of the corporate world because that's where you know the the cutting edge of 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 management is is being you know experimented with and being executed um but people starting to come back from those things uh, because we start to see that you know you, you can't robotize something that has to do with with people you know mm -hmm. and, and every person is different this is what i always say you know there is there is no formula for good leadership it doesn't exist. All the books that, that pretend that there is, yeah. it, is, it, is it is a non-truth. And the reason I dare to say that is that the only good leader is an authentic leader. And if, that, if that's the truth, if that's the truth, which I believe, that means that there's no two leaders the same. And that means that everybody can only be the best leader that they can be by getting more of that authenticity coming out. Yes, you have to learn a couple of things in terms of how you manage, you know, but management is, is only a small part of that role of a leader. Yeah. And um, yeah, if you, if, you, if you look at, uh, you know, the, the leaders in, that we have portrayed in our film, those leaders of those communities, um, it's amazing how people even respond by looking at the film. You know, and you get to see these people on the screen for a few minutes each, and it already has an effect to people. Yeah. And that is, a, that is an energetic effect, that is a, a magnetic effect that these people have. And the reason they have that effect on people is because they've done the work. They've really done the work to, you know, to lay off the layers of their ego, because ego is you know, omnipresent. It's not something for the Western world or for the, you know, we all humans have this problem. Yeah. Um, it's just challenge, I would say, uh, you know, it's not just a problem, it's just a challenge mm -hmm. to, to grow out of that and to, to come to understand, you know, who you truly are. And that's where all the focus is for indigenous leadership, that people truly know who they are, what they stand for. And um, that creates sort of a solidity um, because you know, they don't have to think about how to portray themselves. They just are. 
They are, yeah. They, and because they are just who they are, they, they can much better observe what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and they can uh, attain and um, receive you know, knowledge that um, is something that you, know, you, you, you cannot find by doing an interview or a test on people. You know? yeah. um, so okay. that's, a, that's a big difference between what I call wisdom-based leadership or knowledge-based leadership. Yes, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for sharing that. And we will create a link. Um... I think it's on the 17th of November. Yeah. Okay, good. That's very interesting. So the masterclass is very interesting. And also um, when we're talking about um, your documentary down to earth, um, we will make sure that that is available to uh, for people to find. Um, so so let's get back a little bit to the Earth Charter, as you mentioned the Earth Charter um, already. In what way is the Earth Charter and its vision uh, on interrelatedness and sustainable development significant for you? Well, <clears throat> I have to say that I had heard about Earth Charter because it's in the back of my mind when I was approached after our experience and after we released the film in the Netherlands, I was approached by Earth Charter Netherlands if I wanted to uh, join their circle. And I said, well, let me have a closer look at it. And when I read the Earth Charter, I just like, I just realized that could have been written by those people that were in our film, basically. You know, it, it, it is just total alignment with that's what I had discovered, um, you know, talking to indigenous leaders around the world. So to me, it was like a, wow, um, that, that this already exists and already exists for so long. This is, this is what everybody uh, should be sharing. You know, this document that was, that, that was drawn up in, in the 90s, I think it was, um, is of so much importance. It, and, um, and also, it, it has so much common sense. Exactly. I, mean, I think I, I, I haven't done it, but I actually I'm, I'm intending to, to show um, my, uh, my Native American friends the, the Earth Charter. Um, when I read it again last week, I thought that I need to do that. Yeah. And I know what they're going to say. They say, yeah, this is just common sense. Yeah. yeah. Of, of course, everything that you read in there, when you have that way of looking at the world, is complete common sense. Yes. And therefore, it's so shocking that hardly any organization that I know, you know, will tick uh, the majority of the boxes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How is um, that possible? Yeah, that's the, the, true. Um, when, when I talk about the Earth Charter to organizations, you know, within schools, um, then a lot of people said, well, this is beautiful. You cannot have anything against it, but how are we going to put it into action? Mm -hmm. um, so they also want to tick the boxes, right? <laughs> yeah. so, so how do you feel that the Earth Charter um, you know, can be um, put into action by organizations, by schools, by leaders? Yeah, well, th this, is the, this is the key question that I've been you know, busy with uh, ever since I've had this experience. Uh, not because of the Earth Charter, but because I already said that you know, everything that's in there is, is part, you can see those things back in the film as well, how these people think about interrelatedness, interconnectedness, about, you know, how we are part of nature and, um, you know, about, you know, the, the way they think about community, the way they think about social justice. Um, all these things, all these four pillars come back in, in those um, talks and those, um, you know, interviews that we have had with them. Yes. Um, but then how to make sure that in our world with our corrupted system, which it basically is, it's a corrupted system. Yeah. Um, is not just a simple answer. One part of the answer is education. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to really change dramatically our educational system. And that's why I love to spend time with, with educators, with progressive educators who, who try to change things and we start to see things slowly um, coming into gear and, and starting to move, and you know some very exciting uh, developments. But you know we don't have we don't have eons. This this really has to happen, you know, in this, this decade. Um, because if we don't change it in the in the source in the in the beginning, 
um, it's very difficult uh, when children come out of the school system. They they already they already programmed. Yes, that's one thing. Um, then the other thing that I have realized for myself is um, in working with with organizations, um, which I think are a big part of the solution, um, because I think that the corporate world is so much faster to change and adapt than sort of the institutionalized world. Um, it's just um, a massive difference how quickly they can adapt. Is that the process I have taken is that I want to show them that what is happening in the world today is not just something that they should be concerned about because of their moral uh, the morals that they have and the moral responsibility they feel. But actually, it, it should be concerning to them for their bottom line responsibility as well, for the continu continuity for the organization. And to make that more specific is the way that I uh, have conversations with CEOs of you know, um, large and small organizations, it doesn't matter, is that I try to make them see that the most um, irreversible, the most important irreversible trend in, in the world today is that our people start to wake up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's going much faster than most people uh, realize. You see it already in the youth, you know, how they look completely different at the world, how they completely look different at, you know, uh, the way that they uh, buy uh, products or services, uh, the way that they select their employers, um, it's, it's, a, it's a massive shift uh, compared to 10, of, uh, certainly 20 years ago. Um, but you see, it, um, you see it across society. So if you realize that your clients, your employees, your future partners in 10 years from now have a complete different consciousness and level of, um, you know, awareness about what's going on in the world and you know how we destroying the earth and it's destroying the you know the the ecosystems that we all depend on you better start making your decisions now and change your you know your your footprint as an organization uh, because once it becomes um, a problem it is too late to fix it yeah because if you look at many of the organizations that I work with today, you know, it, it will take five to 10 years to change everything in the whole, you know, cradle to cradle um, in, the, in the whole um, ecosystem of an, of an organization, you know, because you, ca you can't just make changes by yourself. You have to make changes in, in you know, um, upstream to your suppliers and downstream uh, to the people you work with. Um, and, but it is, it, is, it is possible, stronger. It's no longer a case of um, that being sustainable in the way that you do things is just a extra effort that is more costly. If you do it right, more and more companies start to prove that you can make a lot of savings. Yes. And, um, there, are, there are fabulous, fabulous uh, examples of where because of the consciousness of one person, a whole organization can become from completely polluting and environmentally um, you know, damaging uh, organization to a, uh, a net zero organization or even you know, uh, a positively contrib contributing organization, yeah. regenerative. And for and, that, you need wisdom-based leadership, you think? Oh, you, yeah, you need, you need somebody to say, you know, no more. You know, we're going to do this differently. And yeah. We're going to do this together. And there's, there's a beautiful example of a company in the Netherlands uh, called Interface, um, who used to be a very um, polluting company. They make um, these floor tiles um, used in, in homes, but a lot into uh, um, you know, office buildings. Office buildings, yeah. They're made of nylon, and you know this is an oil product. So in, in terms of the in terms of the supplies and the, also the the dyes that are, were being used. 15 years ago, it was a very, very polluting company until the CEO in America had a uh, epiphany and said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, you know, I have children and, and this is where the consciousness comes in. Yeah. You know, if you start to think about the next generations, you know, 
all your decisions start to be different. And that's why the natives say, we have to do every decision that we take has to be good for the next seven generations. Mm -hmm. He understood that and he stood by it. He also knew that it was not gonna happen overnight and he couldn't do it alone. So they did a step-by-step approach and they involved everybody in the company and you know, also beyond the company in finding solutions. And 15 years later, that is a regenerative company where they have turned everything around and still being super successful, actually being the most successful in their field because they can show that they have uh, you know, a, a zero carbon footprint. Yes. Yeah. And so if they can do it, and that's what I tell people, like I work with people in the food industry, I work with people in you know, construction. If they can do it in a very polluting industry, you know, with, with all the difficulties that they were facing, you know, you can do, do it too. Yes. And not because just of your feeling of responsibility, but you will be out of business in 10 years' time. Mm-hmm. Because there will be disruptors who will do it in a better way. And the disruptors of tomorrow are the, are the, are the companies that um, have a high social responsibility yeah. and you know, work on a, a very environmentally uh, conscious way. Yes, yeah. And then, uh, like you said, they do it with the community. Um, and you know, I don't like the word stakeholders, but the community, um, you know, everyone involved uh, to reach this purpose. Um, everyone is needed to get it done, right? And it's unbelievable how, I mean, I've worked with this company that I just um, told this uh, case uh, about Interface. The the level of inspiration and motivation in the company is excessive. It's it's huge. Yes. And, you know, and, 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 and employees come with fantastic ideas. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> it's great stories about, you know, an employee goes on holiday and, and he finds that fishing nets are killing the coral reefs uh, in, in, the, in the ocean where he was. And he realized that these fish nets are made of the same nylon as you know, that durable nylon. Um, but because it's so durable, it ruins the, it ruins the sea because it, the fishermen leave them in the, in the sea. Fast forward a few years, because of that observation that he brought back, the fishermen who didn't have any fish have now an income because they take the fish nets out of the, out of the ocean. <clears throat> they are being sent to the company, so it's raw materials. Um, the community is thriving again. The corals are growing again. And you know, everything just starts to work hand in hand, and they have a, a cheap supply of uh, raw materials. Yes. <clears throat> so many examples like that. But we have to start to think differently. You know, it starts with the whole way that we design things and design products. And unfortunately, you know, there's, a, there's a lot happening in that field now. We just got to speed it up. Exactly, because those 15 years that that interface had, we probably, you know, we really have to speed it up. We don't have those 15 years if we really no. want to make a change. Uh, you know, I, I think you know, with with their knowledge, you know, it could be done uh, much quicker now. For sure. Yeah. And it, and it, it will have to be quicker. Um, exactly. But you know, that in itself, um, that creates excitement. You know, that's why. That's how I can stay positive and optimistic, um, despite everything that, that, goes, um, that goes on. Yes. Uh, you know, but the, the, the speed with which we can get people awake um, is, the, I think, the most crucial factor. Yes. And um, so it starts with, with um, the children again, right? Um, and our education system, which, you know, uh, I try to I work hard to to make a difference there um, and it's such a rewarding job if you see how much the children themselves contribute to the learning that's just amazing mm-hmm. if you can if you can keep that because I'm I, I agree with you that children are born you know with that spirit um, and if you can awaken that spirit and and um, foster that um, then then you know they grow up to become completely different um, citizens, um, Absolutely. community members, I, I like to say, because I think one of the problems within our Western world is that we are so focused on the individual 
um, and the and growing the individual needs not towards the service of the community but towards the service of themselves that we have a problem um, uh, within creating community um, and um, as you said we need community to thrive and to survive actually so um, I like it when a story just comes back to you know what can child uh, what can we learn from children and what did your children learn from their experience. Um, so my final question, as a lot of our um, members are caretakers of animals, can you share with us one experience with in nature, maybe with animals during your journey that you would like to, to tell about? What, what do you mean in terms of how um, indigenous people take care of animals or what do you mean? Maybe if, if that's, yeah, or, or how you encounter animals around you that, that made an, you know, an impact on on how you look at them. Okay, yeah, I mean, where, wherever you go in, in, uh, to indigenous communities, um, it's a bit the same story as was telling about children, you know, it's not like it is all integrated. Animals are, are just part of, um, you know, of the community often in, in terms of, you know, they, they provide a food source, um, but they often often live also in a sort of um, cohabitat, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, I must say, I, especially in the time that I lived in America, um, I, I I grew much more aware of the communication that we can have um, with animals um, on a completely uh, unexpected level, and. Um, I'm not saying that all indigenous communities uh, have that experience, but that was that was something that I experienced um, in the time that I lived with the Native Americans there. And um, I'm still exploring that myself, but my children especially um, have been a, a really good guide in that sense uh, because they, uh, they have been experimenting with that as well. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I just realized that, um, as with most things in life, we think that we know, you know, uh, we think that we know so much, but, you know, we know so little. And the abilities that we can have in terms of communicating with an animal uh, on a certain level, I've had an experience with, you know, with my house cat, I have had an experience with swimming with dolphins. Um, incredible, incredible beings that are not lesser beings than we are. And I think that's the most important lesson that I have learned in terms of how to look at animals. You know, um, they, they are brothers and our sisters. When I heard it for the first time, I thought, oh, that, that sounds kind of cool. But then you start to realize that they really consider it that way. Yes. And so, and when they, when they take the life of an animal um, for, their, um, for, the, for food, for their families, um, it, it, is a, it is a spiritual process, you know, um, the, the hunter doesn't go hunt and say, okay, well, that, that deer looks nice uh, and, um, you know, tasteful, going to take it. No, he gets in communication with the animal and asks the animal that is ready to shapeshift, as they call it, yeah. uh, step forward. And they really feel out if that is almost like an agreement. It's the same with cutting down a tree. You don't just cut down a tree. You ask the tree for permission. Yes. And, and if you don't get that permission, you don't get that tree down and that you communicate with the tree. And that was, that was the next step. So what I learned with animals, then I started to learn with trees. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful world huh? if we start to explore it in a little bit more depth. For sure, yes, and that reminds me of, of the first principle of the Earth Charter, which is respect and care for the community of life. Um, so thank you so much, Rolf, for this interview and for sharing your wisdom. And I agree, you know, the more that we, the wiser that we get, the more that we learn, the more we realize we only know so little. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Well, thank you for the time. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, maybe seeing uh, some of you who are listening on the 17th of November uh, when we talk more in depth about wisdom based leadership. Yes, for sure. We will create the link to that. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Emma.